0: Welcome to Digital Momentum. I'm Mike Ryan, Head of Retail Insights at Smarter E-Commerce. This show offers conversational interviews with leaders in digital marketing, digital transformation, and e-commerce growth. So thank you for joining us today for our, dis- our panel discussion of Black Friday, Cyber Monday, and the Q4 holiday season in general um, within an e-commerce context. Um, we're going to talk today about some themes, including price and promotion and the role of of data science and and artificial intelligence in your e-commerce setups for the holidays. And we're joined today by Ralph Meyer. He's a product manager with a specialization in pricing technology, pricing insights, dynamic repricing, uh, pricing strategy. So thank you, Ralph, for joining us. Um, Thanks for having me. Absolutely. We're also joined today by Stefan Stolper. Stefan is a client lead working with some of our largest clients on their strategy, their channel strategy, um, how they approach their, their uh, marketing mix, uh, allocating budget, what kind of projects they work on. Thanks for joining us, Stefan. Thanks for having me. And last but not least, we're joined by Catherine Monroe. Catherine is a data science scientist with a specialization in natural language processing. And Catherine's been quite busy lately on a variety of projects, including editing a textbook, a data science handbook. Um, a LinkedIn learning course, uh, also uh, as a TEDx moderator. And um, finally, she's super active in the women in the AI community. So thanks, Catherine, for joining us.
1: Yeah, it's a pleasure.
0: So getting into today's topic, um, Stefan, I want to start with you. Google's motto for this holiday season is capture the comeback. Uh, they're referring here to a return of in-person celebrations, and also in-store shopping uh, to prepare for those celebrations. So Stefan, what do you think are the implications of that return that Google is expecting, uh, that return to, to stores and offline activity for e-commerce brands and retailers?
2: Yeah, what I've seen is that that many people did their forecasting based on the numbers of last year. And last year, as everyone knows, was a, was a really special year. There was a almost 100% shift towards online. And uh, what we see this year is that there's, of course, a natural shift again to, to shopping in-store. Um, and keeping exactly this in mind is crucial. And I know um, it's, it's tough to predict because no one really knows how to forecast uh, online and offline sales right now. And that's the biggest challenge I see um, currently with many of, of our clients or my clients. And what's important there is um, don't only look at 2020 numbers, look at 2019 as well, how it was before COVID. And expect that this year's sales will be strong again online, but offline as well. So there will be people who bought naturally offline in 2019, learned how it works online during the whole COVID situation, and still might stick to online. Which means offline will be back, of course, but online should be definitely bigger than it was 2019. But it's crucial that you don't only forecast uh, for, for online sales, but offline sales, uh, sales as well. And yeah, it's important from, from a Google or advertising perspective, of course, is that you have the basics in place. Google is offering some, some campaign types that really drive offline sales as well, like local campaigns, local inventory ads on, on Google shopping. And you should make sure to really focus on what's important to you. If you think offline sales are more important because conversion rates are higher when people go offline in store, try to, to shift people towards, uh, towards your offline business. If not, stick to online. But as we know, it's about supply chain as well. And, uh, that's that. That might be a challenge for uh, for all the retailers right now. But make sure that you, yeah, plan accordingly and try to shift people where you want them to be.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that's that's great advice, Stefan. I agree. There's this major kind of comparison challenge occurring right now, where we've seen this huge fluctuation in in 2020, and we'll see another kind of fluctuation to be determined in 2021. One thing that comes to mind for me too is that. There could be a value in kind of zooming in as well to looking at those core days, Black Friday through Cyber Monday and looking at hourly trends in the past years as well. So not just um, thinking about, okay, what's the overall volume going to be like, but you know what kind of trends are surfacing intraday um, on those key days as well. Definitely. Totally. But Ralph, I have a question for you because... When we just talk about Black Friday, some economists have been pretty critical of the of the event. They argue that it just serves to take um, existing demand and consolidate that into a time range, rather than creating new demand. And that this time range, there's steep discounting occurring, and this become expected by consumers. And there are also, you know, Stefan just hinted at as well, some logistical challenges arising, which can further damage profits um, due to just that crunch that occurs. So, what's your take on that?
3: Yeah, that's a very interesting question. I think it nicely ties back also to uh, what Stefan just said, where it's really hard to predict what demand is actually going to look like um, across your various channels. Like, given the pre-COVID, post-COVID situation, um, are you expecting like the same demand overall, or it's just going to shift from offline to from online to offline to online, or vice versa, or do you actually expect an increase in demand overall? And you can ask the same question with Black Friday, like, does all this deep discounting and that, you know, crazy promotions that are going on, does that actually create new original demand? Or is it just shifting demand around either in time? Like, do people deliberately delay your purchase from the summertime towards the fall because they're expecting these deep d- discounts? But would they have bought, you know, the new TV set anyway? Or is it just shifting demand around um, either from one channel to another or from one merchant to another? Like, if you take examples from from really um different industries and you look at consumer packaged goods um there the demand is relatively stable regardless to what you do with discounting right people are gonna not buy 10 times as much bread as they do uh if you drop the price of bread by 90 percent. right um, whereas if you drop the price of a flat screen tv by 90 percent, you're definitely gonna see an increased demand overall and so that really ties back to, to what Stefan said. You have to be strategic about your thinking about what you want to do as a retailer and whether or not you can think you, think you can actually create demand by doing those discountings. Or if not, if you know that there's a you know, relatively stable overall demand in your market, then the question is, uh, then your, your strategy really has to look at how can I um, fulfill some of the demands that otherwise my competitors would be fulfilling? So how can I just gain market share in a market that's relatively flat, if I'm convinced that I'm not going to be able to create new original demand. Mm-hmm. So yes, yeah, definitely a strategic topic to to look at depending on your industry, your vertical, and the, the kind of customers you expect to to be seeing.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, the way that elastic that elasticity will behave is going to be different there. I mean, I think one thing that's been happening of interest in recent years with Black Friday is that we've seen the, the search interest beginning earlier every year. And so you know, it's maybe not such an acute peak as it used to be in the past, but perhaps starting to, to flatten out a bit. I mean, I believe Google even suggested that there's a growing share of, of shoppers who rather than Black Friday being the kickoff event for their holiday season, it's it's really kind of the end of their shopping. They've, they've been already browsing and building carts and yeah, and then it's this kind of checkout event for them, which is quite interesting too. But back to this topic of fulfillment and crunch. Um, Stefan, regarding that logistical challenge around Black Friday, Cyber Monday, at this time of year, we know that just globally, there's quite a stress on supply chains. Um, The price of shipping containers is just skyrocketing. And people are already talking about Shipageddon, which I think was first trending last year, um, that kind of hashtag Shipageddon. Um, What actions can marketing teams take to ease that dilemma and support a good customer experience in the face of those challenges.
2: Yeah, definitely. Um, we've seen that last year as well. Um, it started yeah, during COVID, but got worse during Black Friday because it, it was not only Black Friday, it was that that Amazon shifted Prime Day towards mm-hmm. Q4. And then we really have seen longer delivery times. And as you've said, um, the price of shipping containers really skyrocketed this year, along with transit times. And uh, UPS mentioned that they won't be able to ship all the uh, packages they have to ship during peak season. But as far as I know, they even said that they're going to stock, uh, uh, increase their their the limits of of uh, possibilities they have right now. But from a marketing perspective, um, I think it's crucial to be transparent. We've seen that last year when people put banner on the website saying that delivery times will be longer, or even from a from a really Google Ads perspective, adjusting delivery times in Google Shopping or communicating uh, the issue in in Google Ads. Because I think uh, people will be thankful for your transparency instead of just saying delivery time one, two days, and then you receive your package in in a week or two. Because I think if you're transparent, people will accept it. People will understand it. But if you encounter issues and and it really takes way longer to deliver, you -hmm. will get lots of bad reviews. And uh, you know that bad reviews really mean... (laughs) bad reputation. Mm -hmm. And you should really focus on transparency, honesty. And I think that's key from a marketing perspective to to overcome this challenge.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah. So getting that messaging out there and as much information as possible so you can qualify the customer and they can kind of in-qualify or out-qualify based on on those criteria that you give them. Yeah, that that sounds um, like a great way to go forward. And Catherine, I want to bring you in here regarding... Uh, data science, what what do you see as the biggest opportunities in, in e-commerce pertaining to machine learning and data science and the technologies that are available to us these days?
1: Yeah, thanks for the really interesting question, Mike. It's a lot of fun for me to answer because this is such an exciting area. So I will start, though, with a little bit of a caveat, which is that uh, machine learning projects and big data science projects, they take a lot of time to develop if you do want to do them right. And of course, you do want to do them right. So my advice is to start with the low-hanging fruit now, and what that looks like depends on every different listener who's listening right now. It depends on how much of a data science team you have, how mature your data systems are, and so on. But uh, choose something that's low-hanging for you, but at the same time make sure that you are capturing um, high-quality data as high as possible, so that you can start thinking about more ambitious projects in 2022. And now to actually answer your question with some examples, so. In data science, there's a lot of use cases, for example, getting better retail insights, like being able to segment your customers on a more granular level and understand them better, or using basket insights to understand what customers are really buying, not just what they're clicking, but what actually ends up in their basket that they buy at the very end. Um, This is a very, very useful avenue to pursue. And then if you want to bring machine learning into it, um, you can be thinking about bidding automation. Um, especially that which considers seasonality it's really really important that if you are automating that you are reacting to to trends and things especially in this changing time Um, you want to be able to more accurately predict demand and price elasticity which ties to what for example ralph was talking about Mm -hmm. and another uh, project you could be thinking about it's a little bit of something that could be considered later because it won't be so relevant straight away this year. Which, and it's, this is customer lifetime value forecasting. The reason I say it might not be so relevant for the end of this year, if you start on something like this, is that the way shoppers are behaving in this part of the year is going to be different to their normal behavior. So it's more something that you can think about for the future. And um, and finally, because you know my domain is natural language processing, this is what really excites me. And there are things you can do even in the short term. So I would suggest focusing on improving service in what is definitely a stressful time for consumers. So if you have uh, reviews and things like this or consumer inquiries, if you do collect that information, it's not so difficult to perform some basic topic modeling or clustering to find out what people are talking about, what they're asking for, what their key pain points are, and then maybe set in place some basic ways to handle that. You won't be able to deal with every situation, but if you can identify... A couple of things that are really causing issues for your consumers and make even some rule-based processes to assess that. Uh, this is something you you can really think about before the end of this year. And then later you can consider more complex projects like if you do want to have an assistive chatbot on your website, or if you do want to improve search with semantic search, or maybe even doing some social media listening on by you know crawling information from Twitter and seeing what people are saying. Uh, predicting trending products, all of this you can do later on.
0: Thanks for sharing those ideas, Catherine. Yeah, I think that's a really key message that these projects are not lightly undertaken. And I mean, generally, when it comes to Black Friday, you want to think about what can I do now that's going to be impactful, but not too disruptive, uh, because you need to have everything kind of nailed down and smoothly operating in time. But it doesn't mean that that there's nothing that can be done. And on this topic of data, I want to just jump back to you for a minute, Ralph. You've talked a lot about data-driven pricing from competition-based to demand-based, th- these different strategies. So how can merchants decide which strategy is right for them in a holiday period? Yeah, that's another great question, Mike. It, it ties
3: back to a couple of things that we already heard today. So the first and most important thing when it comes to data-driven pricing, obviously, is what Catherine just said. You need to have access to that high-quality data that you can then use um, either manually in the first place or in a semi-automated way in a rule-based way or later on in a, in a machine learning model to do actual predictive pricing for example so there are very sophisticated models out there that would um, help you for example to um, use machine learning to predict consumer behavior predict um, what demand is going to be um, and thereby predict probably also what your competition is up to and as a combination of all of that predict what your ideal price point at every given point in time for every given product would be. However, that sounds like science fiction to, to many of the retailers that are out there at the moment, and they're probably struggling even with, um, w- with simpler or, or more manual processes and strategies, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and so I don't want to take it to the technical level too much, but I really want to advise retailers to take a step back and consider what it actually is that you want to achieve from a business point of view. And then put pricing in there as sort of one component to your overall business strategy. And um, to to give an example for that, if you are, for example, a a venture-backed startup, then your business objective will be focused very much around growth and customer acquisition. Um, Your focus will not be so much around profitability and sustainability in the first, say, one and a half years or something, um, but you really want to build that customer base. Now, if you're an established retailer who's been out there for 20, 30 years, um, you're, fo- you're, you're financed from cash flow, and you're just looking to build a sustainable business in the long run, then you might be looking much more at how can I best serve the existing customers that I have? How can I increase loyalty? How can I increase customer retention? Um, and not being so aggressive in terms of pricing and that competitiveness, for example. So these things um, need to be tightly connected um, with your overall business strategy that has to pay into some, some let's say, higher-order business objective that you want to achieve. And that's why it's, it's very hard to figure out a sort of one-size-fits-all pricing strategy um, that, yeah, that would work for a horrendous retailer, particularly given the, the different um, aspects now with seasonalities and with COVID and with a lot more unpredictability, unpredictability coming, coming in as well. Mm.
0: Yeah, that, that's really interesting, Ralph, and it's one of my favorite topics. There is so much venture capital, private equity, Flowing into e-commerce right now, also a lot of acquisitions and roll-ups occurring, and yeah, definitely there are some some aggressive players out there, and super important to be aware of. And you know, Stefan, if we take this to kind of into the Google Ads environment, suppose someone is just getting started with price-based marketing, what are some initial approaches that merchants can take to this topic and their promotional strategy for Black Friday, for example? What what possibilities are there?
2: As Ralph said, there there are many possibilities if if you have the right tools in place. But as he said as well, for most of the retailers, uh, that's that's not the case right now. They're just starting with it. And there's a possibility within um, Google Merchant Center where you just look at price competitiveness data. That's definitely a starting point. And what you could do is that um, you look at your top selling products, increase traffic, and just check with uh, with the help of Google Merchant Center are your price competitive or not. And based on this, you can even create a new structure within your account, you you give those products more budget, you bid them more aggressively because you see they are competitive when it comes to pricing, there's a lot of volume on it. So that's something they could definitely do. But what I think is is super important this year, we have talked about supply chain earlier and um, we've talked about increased costs when it comes to supply chain. And what's expected this year is that brands, big brands and retailers give less discount this year because they somehow Mm -hmm. have to cope with this increased supply chain costs. Which means, and what I've seen in last years is that that some brands and retailers just said, ah, twenty percent on everything, just because it made sense to them. But this mm-hmm. year, it's even more important to watch competitors because if they are not discounting that heavily, you could over discount, which means you're killing margin. You don't have to kill. So mm-hmm. merchant center data is a good starting point. Uh, but if possible, I would really suggest to look at repricing or dynamic pricing tools to give you the, the insights on, on several platforms like. Google Shopping price data is one part, but of course, people price differently if it's Google Shopping, Idealo, if it's uh, Amazon, for example. And you need to make sure to really look at your competitors, because we and I expect that the discounting behavior will change. Um, I guess normal people, so the, the people buying online, they won't really see a difference because they see minus 30%. But I guess that the basis from which they calculate the discount will be a bit differently. So mm-hmm. I really advise every every retailer to look at competitive data and not over yeah discount stuff to to kill the whole margin.
0: Mm-hmm. yeah, those are really interesting points that you that you brought up, Stefan. I think generally there's kind of a challenge in place here to Black Friday as a concept. I mean, well, if we just take a bigger picture for a second, over time, there's been a long historical trend that purchasing power online has increased relative to purchasing power offline because of the price comparison pop, uh, possibilities when you're shopping online and it was really around the time we were coming out of lockdowns for the for the first time in summer of 2020 that that balance started shifting and we started seeing like a negative growth in online purchasing power so i think that that was when you know a lot of merchants had to make up for things that occurred in, in the course of the pandemic to their business models. And these strains have just gotten greater. So it'll be really interesting to see how big the discounting really is. And and if it's not as strong as in the past, how consumers respond to this. You know, I, I'll take that back, back to you, Catherine, because pricing is often considered a key driver of click-through rate in advertising, particularly in uh, Google Shopping, which is kind of like this Digital shelf embedded into your search results, uh, but it's not the only one. So, what's your take on the significance of, of product titles in relation to ad clicks?
1: Mm-hmm. Um, well, this is something we've done a lot of research on here. For example, we've looked at characteristics of, of well performing titles versus well performing products versus uh, poor performing products, what characteristics were present or absent in those titles. We've tried to map this in terms of statistical relation to things like click-through RAID, and we've done a lot of controlled A-B testing as well when we make a change to a title and measure the significance of the effect of that. And the results have always been clear that these things do make a big difference, but it actually varies per client and per vertical in terms of the effect. So uh, you might think that always adding the, the, the merchant store name to the title would be a, a boost, but not necessarily. For some, definitely. For others, not so useful. There are some common rules that, that do seem to apply generally. So, you know, often including a brand is a good thing, which would make sense. But again, it's never 100%. So you really do need to experiment and make sure that your testing is, is, is accurate and is rigorously set up and so on. And the same even applies if you want to extend this to things like microcopy, which is something that's overlooked, but it's really important. The purpose of microcopy is to, I mean, this is the the little textual details that you get on, say, a website, and and it's there to help consumers get clarity on something, to reassure them, say, in the purchase process, and, and often also to call them to action as well. So obviously, these things are essential for winning a conversion. And so what you can do is, again, test rigorously when you make changes to your website. So for example, if you have a sign up now button that just says sign up now, the consumer doesn't necessarily know what to expect. Are they going to have to add credit card numbers? Are they going to have to fill out a long form or something like this? And so if you add little details that tell them what to expect, this really uh, reassures them. Or maybe you go the other way around. You do have some microcopy, like some terms and conditions, but it's too long. Nobody would ever read it. So try making a little bit shorter, uh, more snappy, and um, maybe even ensure that your microcopy reflects your brand voice. So it shouldn't be just dry terms and conditions. It should actually sound like you. And then make sure that you're testing that properly um, because all of these can have a big impact in pushing somebody through to a sale that they're also really happy with, that they will recommend to others and yeah, and so on.
0: Yeah, so definitely that, that test and learn mindset. And um, similar to what Stefan was saying earlier, having really kind of a... Open and on-brand communication. Uh, I've also got a related question. You know, getting back to this topic, for example, of online shopping being used often for price comparison. Google has research suggesting that this has gotten a lot more complicated over the last years. That uh, a primary function or behavior was was price comparison, and that now people, instead of looking for cheapest TV, for example, they're looking for best TV, which is something that is, yeah, less objectively quantifiable, it's much more subjective and I the, the beholder, there's so many dimensions what could best mean And they talk about this as being emblematic of this move toward like the messy middle where they say, yeah the customer journey is getting so much more complex and there is also an overload of choices and options for consumers as well on the other hand and so we fall back on different kind of cognitive shortcuts to try to make sense of this it's not just it's a messy middle for us as consumers, it's messy for, for the businesses advertising those consumers. But to tie it back to this idea of like microcopy, for example, they talk about category heuristics as being a key concept in making purchasing decisions. Could you maybe explain that concept to us a little bit? What should we be aware of there?
1: Yeah, absolutely. Um, this was fascinating research. So the idea of the messy middle, as you know, is that between the, the trigger of I need to buy something and then the final purchase... Um, consumers are looping around between exploring different options and then evaluating which different options um, suit them best. And and what Google did was they looked at some behavioral science to determine different biases which can affect um, the likelihood of a conversion. And uh, to start with obvious examples, just to give our listeners some context, this is things like the power of free. If you offer something for free, of course, this is going to nudge consumers. Or if you have social proof, like in the form of reviews, this will nudge them as well. And what the category heuristics are are the kinds of information that we expect when we are comparing items in a category. So I was recently in the market for a camera, so of course I'm looking to compare specific technical details like the number of megapixels or the sensor size. And Amazon does this really well by uh, having this um, table of related products for you to compare at the bottom of the page. Um, and obviously this is really helpful for me in choosing which item I want to buy. And I have experienced it, that I've been on websites where this information is missing. And so what have I done? I've sought out the same product on a different website and bought it there because at least there I know what I'm getting and I know that it has the characteristics that I want. So it's really crucial that retailers put the effort of uh, into adding this information to the website. It might be a lot of work, but I think it will not only be worth it in terms of getting that conversion then, but I've got to bring it back to data, of course. If you keep this information in a structured way, which presumably you will, because if you're going to add this to your website, then you must have it somewhere, this information is gold for data science. So for example, you can do product clustering and use that to make recommendations, or you can even think about generating ad copy and product copy automatically or using this for text ad automation. So it's really worth it to include these category heuristics in many different ways.
0: Yeah, thanks for sharing the the value of that. It, I think it's just, it's so important. There's, there's so many use cases and benefits for the customer, which will, of course, benefit your conversion rate or match rate and benefits for the company too. I kind of want to r- wrap it up with a question for, for all of you. Maybe, Ralph, we'll, we'll start with you. What's a key action you think that e-commerce and digital marketing teams should be taking right now to get ready for the holiday peak?
3: Yeah, that's a great question, given the, the time of the year that we're already in, right?
0: Yeah.
3: Um, and that's, I think my answer has to be twofold after after what we discussed today. Um, I think the first advice that uh, is very much in line with what, what Catherine just talked about is if you're not doing it already, then make sure that you're collecting as much data as you possibly can um, within reason, of course, um, about customer journeys, about your products, about competition to make sure that you build out the solid um, base of of data that you can later, um, for example, train machine learning models on or just do simple statistical research or even anecdotal research and look at which products were bought most frequently, you know, on like Friday in the morning versus in the afternoon. Mm-hmm. Um, so start collecting all the data that you can if you're not doing that right now, um, knowing that you will need that data at some point later on, and that it's, it's going to be gold, as Catherine said. <laughs> and the second, probably more tactical thing that um, might even help you for this holiday season is to take a moment to reconsider what uh, as a retailer as a brand what's your competitive advantage where do you think is your your strong point is it in fulfillment is it in, in price is it in in customer service um, where 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 is actually your differentiation to your competition and then try to, to shape a marketing and pricing and product strategy um, for the, the holiday season that fits to that so if you're uh, strong on price because you have a for example, because you're buying in bulk and you get good prices from your wholesaler, make use of that. If you don't have that strength, then probably going for price competitiveness um, is not that great of an idea. Maybe you should focus more on uh, retention loyalty, things like that. So really looking at uh, taking this this um, more strategic view of your business and looking at where are your strengths and how can you leverage them um, as to you know not fight any battles that you're not going to win anyway. Um, that would be my tactical advice for not only this holiday season, but but in general. Mm.
0: Well, thanks for sharing that advice, Ralph. And Stefan, can I ask you the same question? What's a What's a key action you think that e-commerce uh, and digital marketing team should be taking right now to prepare for Black Friday?
2: Fully agree with what Ralph said about data. Um, but not so. I'm focused on marketing data right now. So what I'm thinking of, we should make use of of the data we can get because during Black Friday, it's increased. Overall traffic increased, uh, buyers, even new clients, new customers are, are on your website. And you should make sure that you have tracking set up correctly. You should gather them in, in remarketing lists and use them over and over again. But not only marketing when it comes to, I don't know, banners or videos, but you should make sure that you use the data you get in the best possible way with yeah email marketing automation and stuff like this. Mm-hmm. Um, and you should make sure to prepare your sellers for for the sale that's, that's coming up. So, for example one week prior Black prior like Friday or two weeks, even put a banner on the website and say biggest sale coming up, whatever, and let people register via email, which means all new clients, new customers coming to the website and seeing this banner will, and if they're willing to buy anyways, will sign up for this. And you, mm-hmm. even if they're not buying at the end, because maybe there's a competitor having better prices or stuff like this, you have the data, you have the email addresses, and you can remarket them with emails. And, uh, and and banners and what server. So make sure to prepare your website from a data perspective to use it afterwards. Uh, But also when it comes to um, your servers, make sure your servers are able to stand the the increased traffic. I've seen a couple of clients last year who had some issues with their servers and were not able to be fully up and running 24-7 during Black Friday, Black Friday week. Um, So make sure your servers are, are able to do that. And on the other hand, plan your stock levels Best possible way. So make sure to 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 find out what's going to be a huge bestseller this year, and make sure that your stock levels are are ready for that. Um, mm-hmm. Because one of the most annoying thing, uh, things for for customers is if there are too many stockouts or, or just just sizes that no one no one most of the people don't really need like XL or something like this. So mm-hmm. make sure products are available. Uh, and the sizes topic is an important one as well, because if you're advertising on, I don't know, Google Shopping, and uh, you only have XXXL or something in stock, and you still advertise it and waste hundreds of euros, and no one really buys, it's a major issue and you could spend your marketing budget in a in a better way. So that's the, the kind of advice I would I would give to, to retailers.
0: Yeah, definitely. I really like that idea of thinking about retention from the start, you know, kind of unifying this acquisition and retention topic so that it's customer capture you know there'll be this volume let's capture that volume so it's not just one and done or yeah see you now and never again but that we can actually yeah build build a, some new some new volume out of there I really like that
2: and, and one more thing Mike um, sure. because Catherine you mentioned that that people react to huge offers and stuff like this so many many clients really or many retailers really focus on on performance lower funnel marketing, Google Shopping, which brings immediate return. But especially Black Friday week is is a season where you can, with with the right approach, in upper funnel um, banners that are really designed for conversion, which is which is really important. People think a banner is a banner, but no, a banner is not a banner. So it mm-hmm. comes with the banner design. But it's the season where you can really focus on upper funnel branding, bring new people mm-hmm. to the website who are really willing to buy and and the chances of them buying is way bigger than the whole year. It's mm-hmm. it's really the time to not only focus on immediate return, but really bringing new people to the website, showing them your offers and make them potentially um, um, returning visitors. So that's mm-hmm. something people should keep in mind and, and really investing some budget in mid and upper funnel measures.
0: Mm-hmm. So really having that that end-to-end strategy across your different channels. Definitely. Um, and Catherine, I'll give you the final word What's a key action you think that e-commerce and digital marketing teams should take now for for the holiday season?
1: Yeah, thank you. Um, it's appropriate to, based on what Stefan just said, uh, you mentioned the you know the different channels and and getting this bigger overview, and um, that ties to what I want to say. So we've talked about collecting data, of course, but you have to also make sure that this data is really good quality, and there is a risk that. Um, that merchants might say ah okay holiday season i want to really collect data from from different sources you know the heart's in the right place they might might want to say try some offline conversion tracking to see what's happening in, in store or or different things like this um if you are going to do that that's excellent but make sure that the the quality is good so that you're you're attributing sales correctly you're recording your conversion values correctly um and and all of this sort of thing because uh if you are using any machine learning or you will in the future, then uh, these the the magnitude of sales that we will get at this time of the year will really skew things if the data is uh, flawed in some way. So that's that's one point. And then another point is it's just more general. So um, as I said, make sure your titles and your copy are, are top quality. Um, be intelligent about pricing and also know what a typical basket looks like for you and your shop because you can use that information to offer special deals, you know, special combinations and so on. And remember that it's not just about this season, but all the amazing projects that you can start next year.
0: Awesome. I, I really like that. I think that's a great note to end on. Um, so I want to thank you, Ralph, Catherine, and Stefan, for a great conversation. And thanks, everyone, for listening. Um, so we're wishing you the best of success for your Q4 campaigns through the holiday season ahead and a lot of success into the year beyond that. Uh, so, thanks again and take care, everyone. Thanks a lot. Thank you. Thanks for listening. And if you enjoyed this podcast, please consider sharing it with coworkers, friends, or within your professional network. We really appreciate it. This podcast is produced by Smarter Ecommerce. To learn more, visit smarter-ecommerce.com.